related to something I've struggled with and I think many Americans struggle with, and it's something that I don't believe is talked about enough, uh, and it's the issue of failure. But before we get into it, I had announced on last podcast that we would have a special guest, Lord willing, and well, I guess it was the Lord's will because we have him here today, and he's one of my close friends, uh, Alex. So Alex, say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Alexander, and I am currently a Bible college student with Mateo. And uh, just to say a little bit about myself, I grew up pretty much like any other American in the city. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, grew up mostly with my dad and my brother, and went to school like anyone else, and lived for sports, lived for chasing girls around, and just kind of did my own thing. Um, All the meanwhile, really rejecting God. Um, We were forced to go to a church every Sunday through our um, elementary, through middle school years, but in high school, we didn't have to go anymore. And um, all this time, I was really running away from God because I wanted to do my own thing. That being said, this church did, looking back, have some false views, false teachings about God. And maybe that's something we can delve into a, a bit later. But when I was 15, the summer of my ninth grade year, I was at a low with my family, a low in my own personal life, and that is when God sought me out. And truly, He was seeking me years prior, very consistently. But that's really when I accepted what He was wanting to do in my life. And I ended up that summer getting saved. I realized I was a sinner, which I knew my whole life. But I also learned that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because He loved me, paid for my sins. He died for my sins on the cross. And I accepted that in my life. And He washed my sins away. He gave me a new desire to live for what's right and to follow Him. And my life has been different ever since. I've never been the same man. Now there's times I I revert back to that, that old man that lives for self. But the Lord has been so good and has been leading me to a higher plane, to a higher cause, to live for what's right. And that's what God wants for everyone. All that to say, God's changed my life. I'm excited about this podcast. I'm excited to speak the truth. I know that's the mission God's given me and all of us Christians, really. And we're hoping that today's lesson will be an encouragement to you and to especially Christians who are called by God to impact this world for the truth, for what's right. So I'm very honored to be here. Thank you, Mateo, for having me. And let's get right into this. Yeah, I I appreciate what you said there about the higher cause. Way to plug it in. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, getting into today, you know, we're looking at failure. And I mean, it's something that I think... Like I said, it's something that can be dealt with, and somebody—it's something people deal with all over America, and, and that's obviously the 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 force of our podcast. The thrust, the main thrust of our podcast, is to tackle issues that people struggle with. People could get in their car on the way home, and they're uh, they're maybe have dealt with a day of failure. Okay, so how do you deal with failure? How is how is those channels? Um, how how are you how are you living, and how are you able to channel the failure? In the right way, because a lot of times people deal with failure in in maybe alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, and in all kinds of uh, 
of oddball, oddball things. But really, we need to, I think before we really dive into how to deal with failure, we need to define it, right? What is, what is failure? Um, and I think failure can be properly defined as a falling short or a lack of success. And I think for me, and of course that's according to Webster's Dictionary, um, of course for me I think the more the aspect of a falling short like I didn't meet an expectation maybe uh, in, when, whether it's you know with my uh, leadership or with my parents you know and I feel that failure and I think that more affects and as I've seen it kind of affects more of the children rather rather than the lack of success which is more kind of aims for the adults right they didn't um, they didn't maybe get the job they wanted they didn't you know get the raise they wanted and they have a lack of success which leads to an an idea of failure but i don't know alex what are your thoughts on the whole it's lack of success versus i guess falling short they're not really versus each other rather than they're just the same idea in two different you know ways yeah i absolutely agree and failure really for everyone can be a little different because everyone's a little different i think failure is just falling short of your own goals, what you think you should be, what you think you should be doing, or what someone else wants you to do. You know, I feel like a lot of people think they're failures because they fall short of someone else's goals for them. Maybe an adult, maybe an authority figure, maybe a role model figure. Failure can be the result of any of those things. And I think, and we, as we know, failure can have a a, a plethora of, of, of negative effects in one's personal life. Yeah. Because it hurts, it hits directly to their esteem, who they are. They feel like they're not who they should be. And when your foundation is cracked like that, I mean, you can't even build a house on that. You can't do anything. But yet, people try. You know, they, they try right. to build a house, they try to build a career, they try to build their life upon that foundation, but it's already cracked. It's already been cracked. So they can't. And then because of that, people build this life, this life that they're living, their own view of themselves is based upon a foundation that's no good. And later in life, in the dark times, in the quiet times, they're looking at themselves and they realize they're not who they need to be. Right. They're not who they want to be. And that causes so much depression, anxiety, and it's perpetual. It keeps building up until there's a release, explosion. Right. So this is something that's so important to address. And God's heart is for people to be made whole. God is in the business of restoring people. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like you, you talk to, you know, I used to talk to um, when I when I was traveling on that team that I've talked about in past podcasts, I would meet, you know, elderly people and I would talk to them and I'd be and I would discuss things with them. And I just I absolutely love to talk to elderly people. They have some of the greatest stories ever. Um, but one thing that was interesting was they're constantly kind of still holding on to that bitterness. They're like, you know, when I was a kid. Well, when they were a kid, that was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But they're still holding on mm-hmm. to their maybe lack of, of success or, you know, feeling like failure to measure up to what they, what their parents wanted them to be. And so they feel like, well, I'm a failure. I'll always be a failure. So they, some of these people, you know, some of, some of these folks have been carrying this baggage for 60 years, you know. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you mentioned bitterness because failure in your own life that's not dealt with has many side effects, right. including bitterness. And bitterness, we, I mean, that's a whole other podcast we could discuss. It is such a deep, complex, and horrendous issue. And quite frankly, we all, we all struggle with it. And Jesus, the gospel, the, the word of God is so direct 
against bitterness. While Satan, on the other hand, well, he's the father of lies and he's all for his, his, his weapon, his primary weapon to, to take care of a church, you know, for lack of better terms, is bitterness. He creates those schisms in the foundation. And it's crazy. The issue of insecurity because of failure leads to that. It leads to right. the blame game. Right. You know, Adam in the garden, as an example, when he fell to Eve, and when Eve fell, you know what they did? They blamed each other. Adam said, well, the woman you gave me, God. Eve said, the serpent. And yes, each had their own parts. But we see this correlation, this tendency that when we fail, we tend to point the finger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's like a, a natural response for us. You know, when I was growing up, I remember there was... There was times when, you know, me and my brothers would be playing or something would happen and we would mess up. But they're, they're always the constant human nature thing to do, you know, is if we're doing something wrong and then mom finds out it's, oh, it wasn't me, it was him. I remember <laughs> it was a, a funny story when I was a kid. Uh, we, my parents had just, we just bought a house. It was a brand new house. And um, we had put brand new blinds in. Those were nice fancy ones, you know, that you can like push up. And I, I mean, I thought they were fancy, right? They were the, they're actual wood. Like I thought like that was high tech or whatever. Probably wasn't, but, um, <laughs> so my brother walks up to the blinds and he snaps, like cuts the, uh, the string. So the whole thing's falling down. My mom comes home and she's like, who did it? And he, he was like, well, Mateo did it. I was like, well, I didn't do it. And, and I was like, I, I think, I think, you know, Troy did it. And so then it just went to a blame game. It was like constant back and forth. And oh man, it was it was bad. When, it, when she finally found out who did it, she was not she was not thrilled at all. Uh, but again, the the human basic human tendency, point the finger, get the blame off of you. And then that's even like okay, going back to the the elderly folks I was I, I had spoken to, they they constantly it was it was my dad's fault. It was my mom's fault. They didn't do something. They made me feel like a failure. Well, not technically. Sure. They might have, they might have said some things that hurt. They might have done some things that hurt, and they might have not affirmed you like you thought you needed. But you ultimately are are responsible for how you act and for how you, uh, what path you go down in life. So you know, you either have the bitterness or you have, you know, you have freedom. That's right, and I think we'll be getting into this shortly. But we just addressed one of the first remedies to having a lot of discouragement and being upset about failure is the fact that you've got to realize that your life is up to you. Right. Yes, there's always going to be someone to blame. There always will be. There will always be an excuse we can make. But we will never get better until we make the choice to take our actions seriously and take responsibility for what we can do. And one side effect of the mindset of failure is that we start to doubt that we can do anything good. We start to doubt that we can even get out of this mess, that, that we can make it a good impact and change in our lives. And that is a lie. We can, and we can do a lot more than, we're, than we think we're capable of. And I think this is a lot, this is especially prevalent within the spiritual life of Christians. Satan's goal in the Christian life is to hinder us from being used by God. And the only way we can do that, because God is far greater than Satan, and because of that, every attempt Satan throws to hinder the work of God, God miraculously turns around and molds into being pushed for the greater good. 
God brings out the greater good through that. And what does that look like for us? For us, that means the only way the enemy can actually accomplish that is simply for us to allow him. He gets us to think that we're not capable of what God says we're capable of. And I think that's very important. Um, when I went to, uh, last year, a little over a year ago, I went to Croatia on a mission trip. And Croatia has a large, quote-unquote, Christian population. In reality, it's just Catholicism. And that is not Christianity at all. Um, it's so far away from the Word of God when you look at it. And you have a lot of people there without hope, without joy, without purpose, without real Christian conviction. And there is such a need for the gospel there. So I went on a mission trip to help a, pa to help a pastor there. And there were only three solid churches in the whole country. And as, as we know, if you know your geography, you know that Croatia has a, a very large coastline. I think it's about six hours drive time. Now for Europe, that's, that's a lot. That's huge. And near the end of my trip, the pastor took me to Croatia, to the, to the coast there, and we drove about half of it. And he opened up to me, he's like, you know, there is no solid church here whatsoever along this coastline. And we, we drove past town after town after town of, filled with people who have no knowledge, no real knowledge of God who have no knowledge of the saving faith that is through Christ. And while I was there, it was not much of a vacation for me because the whole time I couldn't think about how many generations had been there that had never had an opportunity to hear the truth, that never had an opportunity to be saved and go to heaven. And I really struggled with, with God at that time. I really struggled with the goodness of God. And in a very real way, God spoke to me at the end of that, and it was just a, a very um, important, impacting, sobering lesson. And I was sitting there looking across the Adriatic Sea. I was like, why? Why, why, why? Like, why, why would you allow this? Why would you allow no one to come over here and tell them? And he spoke to me just very deeply and said, um, just impressed upon me, it's not that I'm not calling people. He is. But it's that people aren't answering my call. And that spoke volumes to me. How many people do we know? If you grow up in church, you know there's a lot of young people who kind of just go and are there, and they're not serious about actually living up to what God has for them, for God's perfect plan for their lives. And I think because of discouragement, because of this mindset of failure, not thinking we can measure up, not thinking we're good enough, thinking we can never be one of those great Christians out there, because of that mindset, so many allow themselves to be held back and fall right into what Satan's plan is. Yeah, that, that's good. I mean, would you say that maybe part of your view and in your time in Croatia, you know, maybe even looking at the churches, could have that been a result of maybe your own past failure? Maybe the way you kind of look through the lens and maybe you were even more sensitive to it because of your failure. That's absolutely right. And that's a great way to put that. And I, I absolutely agree. Um, I know personally the allurement of the lust of the world, of the things of the world. Those things that say are, that God says are enmity with him, I've indulged in. I've been a part of, I got saved later in life. I know the allurement, I know the struggle, the baggage it brings. 
And I think that's one reason I'm so burdened about this is because I've experienced God's grace to bring out the best in me despite me. And because of the journey I've been through in that, I guess I, I have a, a special burden for people because these are real struggles. These are real life issues that a lot of people who grew up in Christian homes don't really exactly encounter in the way I have or in a way the majority of people in the world have. So I absolutely agree because of my own experiences in that struggle and personally experiencing God's grace to help me through that. And I'm still on a journey, absolutely. But because of that, it really hit home for me. Yeah, and I think it's neat to just think about how God molds certain situations. You know, like if I went to Croatia and I saw what you saw, I might not even see it in the same light, right? I might not see it through your eyes because you've had a whole different set of experiences, a whole different set of circumstances that allowed you to be at that moment and to see what you saw and then have the burden you did and then the calling that went after it, right? Mm -hmm. So I may never experience that because, so I was saved at age of 11. So I was still, I was older, but I wasn't like a teenager or an adult yet. And so I didn't have the same, and you know, I grew up in a Christian home, so I didn't really have the same experiences. Um, while there was still a lot of failure there, there, it was a little bit different. You know, we've talked a lot about your different situations, but I think that it's just neat to think about how God takes failure and makes it into a burden and gives you a burden for the same thing you failed in. And then as well as gives you a vision to reach, you know, uh, to reach people and to, and to give you a heart for those people in that way. Absolutely. And honestly, that is, that is what God does. God's in the business of restoring. And we know, I'm sure we all personally know a lot of examples in our own lives of maybe friends we've had in church or, or people we've hung out with, people we've seen who grew up in a good home, had, had the ideal situation and were at one point called to the ministry, but have fallen away. I think we've seen a lot of personal examples. I know I have, my own family, and and I, I know you have too. Yeah. Um, but also, especially in the Word of God and real life examples, we see the opposite of that. We see people rising up despite the most dire circumstances. And I think if we if we look at these remedies, I fully believe that all these people who have risen up despite their struggles that it would be shared among them. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, I think even, there's even secular examples. Um, obviously, as Bible-believing Christians, we look at the Bible as our ultimate tool and guide. And I even, I've even said that, and I think in the intro podcast, that no matter what we do, we're always going to rest on the Word of God. Okay, the Word of God is our guiding light. It's our truth, ultimate truth, absolute truth, in a world where absolute truth doesn't, you know, seem to exist anywhere outside of the Word of God. But I think it's, I think it's important to also even look at some of the, the secular examples. I think, uh, I'll just mention one, but I think of Steve Jobs. You know, he was a, uh, when he started with Apple, you know, he was fired from Apple, right? They fired the guy from Apple. He comes back years later after, you know, doing a bunch of other businesses. They went into the, they fell into the ground, ran him into the ground, and now he, he was the CEO of Apple and just very successful. But that took, um, that took a, lot of, a lot of years, a lot of failure but he never gave up. And I think we can learn from the persistence. Obviously, we as Christians have a, another uh, almost incentive and we have another, obviously, a higher power. Uh, we have Jesus living inside of us so we are able to access that and we don't have to just rely on, you know, 
grind, you know, grit your teeth and rub some elbow grease on it. You know, you don't have to worry about any of that because we have we have God, and God has already promised us the victory. So we have a little more to lean on than I would say the secular examples. But we do definitely learn from them. You know, those guys they had a, they had a cause, right? They had a, a passion for something, and they didn't give up. And right. so I guess what's our passion? How are we? Are we giving up, right? If we, if we fall down, how many times do we get back up? You know, are we ringing the bell to use a military term? You know, w- you know, what are we doing uh, with our failure? That's absolutely right. And so, if I were to ask you, what do you think is one of the remedies to overcoming this mindset of failure? Because we know people get trapped in this. It's a vice that people get into. It's a mindset issue. It has nothing to do with the outward, but more everything to do with the inward. So yeah. how do we get over this? You know, I think step number one, you have to recognize the enemy. Okay, you have to figure out who you're fighting. If you don't know who you're fighting, you don't know what, uh, what the battleground is, then how in the world are you going to win against that enemy? Uh, you know, and I think that when you recognize that failure and, and the feelings of failure, those come from Satan. Okay, failure is a normal part of life. Okay, I'm not saying every failure you experience in your life is sent by Satan, but what I am saying is he wants to keep you in it. So if you're choosing to wallow in it and you're choosing to, to, to bathe in that failure, well, that's, that's Satan. Satan wants you to keep, keep you in there because right. God's already won the victory. We know that, right? There's, hand, you know, there's no you know, uh, debate about him winning the victory. We know we're more than conquerors, right? But it's ourselves that choose and, uh, to wallow in that. And it's really the enemy who wants us to keep, to keep us in that. And so Satan has, has nothing better to do, I guess, than just make you feel like, you failure and make you feel like you can never get out of it. That's where he traps those he traps people in that addictive mindset. Right. That's good. So first, we have to realize, especially as Christians, there's a very real enemy who has targeted us. And like we talked about earlier, the only way that we can be hindered from doing God's will is if we choose not to. And, and that's by adhering to the, to the wiles of the devil. So first, we've got to recognize the enemy. And I think also what's very important, very foundational is we need to change our mind and thus our direction in our situation. That's good. I think one of the most important ways to do that is by using the Word of God. We know the Word of God is comprised comprised of 66 books who completely correlate, made by... A number of different authors at different time periods. It's incredible. We know the Word of God is inspired. It changes lives, and it always has and always will. And the Word of we we have to use the Word of God to renew, to revamp our mind, to change the way we think, because the truth is our lives are are based upon the way we think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to get the right mindset. We've got to get. God's mindset. We've got to get God's perspective and choose that over our own perspective. The truth is God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it is so hard, and I know personally sometimes, to to really give over to God's mindset on things because it doesn't seem like it makes sense at times. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem practical. Sometimes we think we deserve to be a failure, to, to not go anywhere in life. We, we're so focused on us. But the secret is to give over to God's mindset, to God's perspective. And when we do that, we are allowing God to change the way we think. And thus, we'll be able to hear him more. 
when he, when he speaks to us through his word. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's good. And I think a verse that comes to my mind is Proverbs 28, 13. And it says, He that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So it's not just an idea. And I think the same can be applied to failure. Um, it's not just about confessing. And it's not just about forsaking. It's about confessing and forsaking. So you're confessing, you know, God, I have these thoughts of failure. And then it's, it's forsaking. It's the change of direction. It's a change of mind. I think the, I think the confession is more of the, the change of mind, whereas the forsaking is a change of direction. Yes. And so you're saying, okay, God, I know that I have these patterns of failure and, I, and I'm letting Satan trap me in it. You know, can, I need your help. And then it's changing your direction. It's saying, you know, I'm not going to go down that path anymore. I know where that leads. And I think the last thing, so we, we, have, uh, we have recognize the enemy and then change the mind and direction about the situation. And then I think lastly, I think resting in the one who views us as victorious. You know, God has really even, he's called us a, a victor, right? He won the victory. And because of that, we don't have to, um, we don't have to live a life of, of wallowing in failure. And really, you know, I think that even the idea of rest, it's the idea of 100% just relaxation and, and it's almost hands-free. I think of Psalm 23, right? You're just, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It, it paints us a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of just resting in the Lord and saying, you know what, God? you have it. And I think too many, um, too many people, and even you, going back to what you said, Alex, you know, about the, the Bible being our ultimate guide. I think too many people, uh, we, we just, we were in this wall, we all in failure. And then we completely forget we have an entire book of the book or entire book full of verses, full of ideas and full of principles we can follow that'll even help us through. That's absolutely right. I think one of the most powerful verses in the word of God is if God be for us, who can be against us? Yeah, that's good. And the idea of that is, you know, we often get confidence in what we're doing from those supporting us. Well, what if God is the one supporting us? Man, that changes things. That really, I mean, what else do we need? You know, and that's the mindset God wants us to have. As long as our heart is set towards him, as long as we choose to submit to him, despite where we are now, God will give us the victory. We, we can take that by faith. You know, I think one area we get into, one rut we get into a lot is we feel like we have to be this good Christian before God will accept us. Well, guess what? Those Christians who are what we see as really good, that we perceive as really good Christians, they're only there because God helped them get there. We have to realize that where we are now is right where God wants to take us. All we have to do is open our hearts to that. Now, that is hard in itself. It's easier said than done because... When we're living in sin, when we're struggling with sin, struggling, when we're in this mindset of failure, we really are not going to think because of the guilt, the shame, we're not going to think God wants to take us. We're not going to really believe. We may say we know who God is, but deep down, we're not going to really genuinely believe he wants, he wants the best for us right now. So I just have a couple of verses here I'd like to share that really have been a help to me. First, we, we see in Isaiah... 118, it says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I think the most, impowerful, the most powerful part of this is the fact that God is speaking to the nation of Israel in the middle of their sin, in the middle of their, uh, of their wrongdoing, in the middle of their rebellion to God. He says, let's, let's talk about this. Let's reason together. If you come to me, I will completely blot out your turn. I will make you as white as snow. 
despite how prevalent your sins are. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing as I, as I hear you read that, I think of two principles. Number one, you have, uh, imagine, okay, Christians are kind of so bound up in their in the idea of, of failure. They get in this rut, uh, and you kind of mentioned that earlier, but they get in a rut, and I think it's like this, right? If all you think about is failure, for instance, if I told you, I don't want you to think about a red hippo. Don't think about a red hippo. What are you gonna? What are you thinking about right now? Oh yeah, red hippo. Exactly. Okay. So, so if you, if all you're worried about is you're focused on your failure, and your mind is constantly on, man, I'm a failure. Man, I, I can't do anything right. Well, what are you gonna right. believe? You're gonna believe that. That's absolutely right. And as well as, I think, imagine if, okay, you had, you had some mercenaries chasing you. All right, these guys are ready to take you out, and uh, you don't, you don't have any weapons, but you have a friend or you have a buddy who's in the military. He's got access to you know, a, a jet fighter that could come in and, and just absolutely destroy these guys, all right? Mm-hmm. But you never call him. Instead, you're just trying to run from these guys and you might, you're, okay, let's just say you're in a car That's and you're right. running from these guys and all you're just trying to get away, but you, have, you, you, you never think about accessing what your friend has, which is right. gonna absolutely destroy the mercenaries. Right. And I think it's the same way with Christians and failure. Okay, we're running from failure. Failure is the mercenaries in the illustration. And God is obviously your friend who has the, the jet fighter that could absolutely destroy this, this failure. Yes. But we choose not to access it. We're like, you know what? I will call you when I need you, but right now I don't need you. It's like, dude, yes, you do. And I think many Christians get bound up in the, in the idea. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to, I'll just take care of it myself. I'm a pretty good driver. I can outrun them. Well, no, you can't. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. And eventually, right. it's going to destroy you. But... You, the whole time you have access to that and we don't use it. That's absolutely right. And I think a good point of that is Jesus is the only one qualified enough for us to really go to him for anything. We see in Hebrews 4, it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People, that is it. That is a wonderful passage because it's telling us, you know, we have these infirmities. Infirmities are bad things. Yet Jesus is touched with the feelings of those. He understands them. He knows what that's like. He can relate in a sense. And because of that, he says, come boldly to me, mm-hmm. to the throne of You should feel welcome there. You know what? If you're righteous, that's not for you. What he's saying is, if you are having infirmities, if you're struggling with this, if you're in the dump, so to, say, so to speak, now you're qualified to come boldly into the throne of grace. Right. That's God's heart for us. No, that, I, think that's, I think that's perfect. And I think, again, recognizing the enemy, recognizing, recognizing that, and then not only recognizing it, changing it and then resting. And I think in those passages of scripture we read, you're recognizing who you're identified with. You're recognizing that your identification isn't in yourself, isn't in what you can do, you know, isn't in what uh, you, you can even say. It's all in Christ. And I think, you know, until, until we as Christians understand that and you really get a grasp of that, we'll be rolling around in that failure. Absolutely. And it's just going to be a constant um, you know, repeating cycle of, okay, I feel like a failure. Well, it's because, well, number one, we're not, we're not recognizing that we have an enemy and that if we don't do something about that enemy, it's only going to get worse. And I, and I know that 
you know, it can get, again, going back, I keep going back to it, but I think it's in, important and interesting, but the, the elderly folks I would talk to, I mean, they were, it was thing after thing after thing for 60 years they've been battling, mm -hmm. and it was all because they didn't recognize their enemy, they didn't decide I'm going to change my direction about where I am through resting in the Lord. Yes. And, you know, they might recognize that they're in a battle and then have an enemy, and they might even try to change their own direction. But really, unless you're resting in the Lord, and unless you're claiming those verses that we just said, you know, you're not, are you really, are you really going to see victory? Well, probably not, because again, it's not you. Now, I can't personally take away those, I mean, I might be able to do, and that's the other thing, I might be able to put coping mechanisms out there, or like make myself feel better for a little while. You know, people use drugs, alcohol, pornography, um, entertainment to, what, what do you, I guess, pacify those feelings yep. of failure. But go ask anybody that's experienced that. Okay, I've even, I've done that. Like, I remember, you know, after I would uh, screw up, whether, like in high school, for instance, when I would bomb a quiz or bomb a test or whatever, or I would just do something really stupid. The first thing I would do is I get on my phone, get on YouTube, and I'd scroll for three hours. Just absolutely wasting time in my own little fantasy world, right? All, yes. all my own little, like, like that's, that's what I, that was my go-to response. And I can even catch myself now doing that same thing where, you know, I might feel like, you know, for instance, I broke my arm, right? I, I don't know if you, I don't know if I've told the podcast this yet, but I, I broke my arm. I've been out of work this summer. So I find it easy to sometimes fall into a trap of, well, I don't have work right now. I can't work. Well, let me just scroll YouTube. Well, right. that's just a coping mechanism for my own feelings of failure. You know, I, I felt like a, a failure because I, I couldn't go to work. And so I'm going to scroll YouTube. Well, what is that? That's just a coping mechanism. That's just something to kind of pacify. And those not only need to be recognized as the enemy, right? Those are, those, you know, the enemy, I wouldn't say is solely Satan. There's other enemies that I think Satan's devices that he puts out there. And part of that is, I would say technology is, it plays a huge part in it. And, um, you know, that's something that you have to recognize as well. Okay, if you have a coping mechanism, if you're using something to pacify and to, you know, cause those feelings to subside, that's other than Jesus, number one, they're not long-lasting. They're never going to fully cure that. They'll cure it for a while, but, you know, there always comes that, that you know, that fall off. I know, um, for instance, I worked in an RU program in our church and a recovery from addictions program. And I, I had a guy at my table who was struggling with alcohol and he would constantly, he would come in after being, you know, he would drink and then he would, he'd come in. He might even, sometimes he would come, he could even come in drunk. But every time I get texts from him, every time, you know, maybe the next day after he would come in like that, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, whatever. And those feelings of guilt were still there. You know, everything he had felt before and his situation at home, which his family was, was tough they were still there. You know, that's what I think we need to realize. And I've talked a little bit about this and we'll get into this in another podcast. I'd love to talk more about music. And I think, you know, people use music as a way to pacify certain feelings. But the problem is, and, and what I've told people, and even video games, you use video games, you use YouTube, you put fill in the blank, technology. We'll just say technology. You have technology and they use it to pacify. But at some point, you're going to have to hit the power button on your Xbox. At some point... You're going to have to hit the pause button on your Spotify account, okay? And at that point, all your problems, everything in life, they're still there. You've done nothing. How about instead, we go to the one who can do something about it? And that's what I, I, I don't understand. And even in my own life, I'm like, 
Mateo, you idiot, what's wrong with you? You have a remedy and you have a way to, to pacify and you actually have a, um, and, you know, forgive the terms, and I think pre- I've heard, I heard a preacher say once, Jesus is the ultimate coping mechanism. And, and I, you know, no, not trying to be irreverent in it, but it's true. Yes. He is the one that's supposed to pacify, and not the technology, not the YouTube, not the Spotify, not the music, the world's music. Do you think Satan knows that there's other coping mechanisms out there? You know, Satan was the chief musician in heaven. Do you think he has any role in music? Well, absolutely. So, uh, you know, do you think he has any influence on, you know, media? Absolutely. Does he know that stuff is that stuff is addicting and stuff will pull you away from the Word of God? Absolutely. Do you think he uses it? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. And so, again, all that to say, if we don't just cha- if we just change our mind and we just recognize the enemy without resting in the Lord. You know, we're still set, setting ourselves up for failure. And then, at the same time, if we don't recognize all the enemy, all of the enemy, just part of it, we're also setting ourselves up for more failure. Right. And I think all these points are very connected and very much so needed. Once we recognize the enemy, we'll realize our need to change our mindset. And once we change our mindset, we'll realize our need to genuinely rest in the Lord and make those choices to go to Him. I think as we come close to wrapping up here, I think I'd be amiss not to share a very powerful story of this in the Word of God, the story of Peter. When we think of the Apostle Peter, we think of the fact that he's, he was the main um, push of the first church in Acts. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people getting saved, a major work of God being done, and what would propagate the Christian movement around the world, up till now even. This man was mightily used of God, yet had one of the biggest failures in his ministry. Yeah. And in fact, his failure is even denying the Lord himself, lying, just wickedness because of fear. And I think we can all relate to those, to those things. Peter was, was walked with the Lord for three years as his disciple. And had made the biggest promises to Christ. And um, was the most outgoing of the disciples. This man that everyone thought had it together. Well, when the day come for Christ to be crucified, of course, Jesus knew. Which, by the way, Jesus knows what we're capable of. He knows the fact that he knows what it will take for us to sin. Yet he still loves us and has promises for us. Peter knew. I mean, Jesus knew of Peter's sin. What he would do. And Peter was not aware of that. He was completely convinced he was going to stick with Christ no matter what he told him that. Well, when the, when, the time, when the time came, Jesus was being taken away. It was a, a huge uproar in the city. And when asked, Peter said, I don't, I don't know that man. Three times he denied him. Three times. When he finally made eye contact with, with Jesus himself and he knew. And he wept bitterly and he went away. In fact... After, and, and then <laughs> Jesus got crucified. He died. It was, it was game over. I mean, can you imagine the shame and the guilt Peter was going through? We know, in fact, that he went back to his old life. I don't think he had really gone fishing for three, the three years he was Jesus' disciple, his old profession. Yet, he's back here doing this. And that's when Jesus appears to him after the resurrection, purposefully. He seeks out Peter, and he, he asks, Peter was toiling all night for fish again, and 
asked him, just cast your net on the other side. And for all the fish Peter caught, he knew this was Christ. He jumped in the water, covered himself, and that's when Jesus invited him to supper. And so that's, he reaffirmed him with the miracle he did in the beginning when he called Peter to be his disciple in the first place. He did that again. And then he told Peter of the death he would eventually die for him in service to the Lord. And from that point, Peter went on to serve God in this mighty way. I mean, what a story of restoration. Mm -hmm. What a story of forgiveness. What a story of God's purpose for our lives. And I think we can all learn from that. We need to realize the enemy that's at hand. We need to realize God's intentions for our life, what God thinks about us, and, that, and realize that's the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. And that comes through um, conforming our minds to the Word of God, changing our mindset. And then, we've simply got to put it to action, rest in the, in the Lord, rest in the one who's given us victory, make God our Father, make God our best friend. He wants that for all of us. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, I've often thought about even Judas Iscariot, you know, his betrayal of Christ and his failure. I'm 100% confident, without a shadow of a doubt, that if Judas would have went back to Christ and asked forgiveness, he would have forgiven him. Why? Because Jesus forgave even the people who beat him on the cross. You know, Jesus is our ultimate example, and we have to look at his life, and we have to see, you know, I think it was, you know, what you said earlier about in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I think it's a powerful verse because that lets us know that Jesus knows everything we're going through. Every little thing that we can experience in life, Jesus knows. He went through it. He was tempted. And I've had people say, well, he wasn't tempted in the same way we are in 2022 with maybe a modesty or uh, with, you know, those the sexual sins. Are you serious? Okay, there was opportunity to be tempted all over. Obviously, he didn't sin, so we know he didn't sin. But I think it's interesting in John 8, it talks about the adulterous woman that was brought before him. And it says that he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Now, I, I can't, you can't make an, an 100% claim, and I can't, and I, this is my opinion, so you know, if you don't agree, that's fine. Um, but, you know, it says that she was caught in the very act. So I think that that's obviously telling us that she was probably not dressed appropriately, and Jesus kept stooping down and writing in the ground. Why do you think he did that? Well, for me, I personally believe is that he wanted to protect his, himself. Sure, he looked at her eventually, but he, he wanted to keep his purity. He had, a, he had opportunity to be tempted, but he chose to live in victory. So all that to say, I think that if we're not, number one, obviously recognize the enemy, but we recognize the, the victor. We, we need to recognize, as much as we need to recognize the enemy, we have to recognize the victor and uh, who, uh, who's already won the victory. Uh, and then realizing that he understands and he cares and he wants to help us. Right? That's literally, you know, he came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. Right? Yes. So we are, the, if we're captive to failure, what does he want to do? He doesn't want us to stay in it, right? He wants to keep us, or uh, he wants to keep us in victory. He wants to see us in victory. Uh, so I, I thank you. Thanks, Alex, for your perspectives today. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I'm really looking forward to future podcasts and uh, everything that we're going to do through it. Uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through it and how God leads. So, uh, thank you so much for listening today. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or even a story of healing, uh, feel free to email us at higherpodcast at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you. Thank you.